Well, good morning and welcome online. Welcome in the room. And if you have a Bible with you or can open up your Bible app, come with me to Luke chapter 2 once again. Luke chapter 2. The most familiar version probably of the, the Christmas events. And we'll pick up really where we left off last week as well. You know, most of our life we live horizontally, and I don't mean how long we sleep, but we think about everything that would be described as visible, things we know, it's human, it's the stuff we do, the people we know. And even if we are believers in Christ, it seems that we don't that often think vertically about God and who he is and, and, and what he might be doing. Now, I'm sure that you're here today, you're listening today, because you do care about that, and, and worship is a priority. But it's hard when, when the horizontal stuff of life is so consuming. How do we keep our eyes and our hearts, my, our minds, vertical to think of what God is doing. What I think we see today in Scripture, as well as any time in Scripture, is that the key is humility. Because humility is by nature a vertical concept. It's understanding that we are not in charge. Someone who thinks vertically as a believer in Christ recognizes that he is the king. He is our authority. And so his word matters, and doing what he says matters. Praising him matters. But we will need to intentionally focus on that. I think it's a great time of year to be focused on the importance of living vertically. Are we willing to submit ourselves to the word and the person of Christ? Are we willing to relinquish control of that which we try to control. These are core issues. But as we do, don't be surprised that God will reveal himself and what he is doing. Don't be surprised that you will see some of God's glory, otherwise invisible but always present, but you will see much more of his glory. Uh, as we look at the Christmas record today, I think we will understand that. We left uh, the, our study last week in verse 7 where it says that uh, Mary gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is maybe familiar, of course, to you. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up now in verse 8 because the scene changes to another place nearby. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So exactly what we saw in verse 7 is what the angel reports to the shepherds. So God 
now interrupts humanity, horizontal living, with a display of his glory. If you had never read the Bible and the first thing you read was the first seven verses of this chapter, uh, never heard of Jesus, you would just see a plain human story. This is uh, an unfortunate couple who have to leave wherever Nazareth is to go someplace far away and they end up being there uh, alone and um, no place to stay and they have a baby. It's a very human horizontal story. No angel told them to go to Bethlehem. The government did. No star guided them. No angel choir greeted them when they arrived. If you had been there, you would feel uh, the chill of the night air. You'd smell manure, I think. You'd hear the cry of a newborn baby as you see the anxious face of a first-time mom and a man who may be very comfortable in his shop with tools, but uncomfortable in a makeshift delivery room. Now they have to cut the cord. They have to clean up in a less than sanitary situation. We assume it's nighttime. She's trying to nurse the baby. He's thinking about tomorrow. Where will we find food? Will we get some lodging that makes sense? Should we try to get some sleep yet tonight? It's all very human. They had no idea what was ahead. This couple probably was clinging to angelic visits in the past. At a time when they knew that this was God's will, but right now it's just, these are, this, these are the realities. This is what we are, we are facing. But in that dusty, smelly, um, primitive humanity, they don't know that nearby is a glorious confirmation that God, vertical, God was fully in charge of this event. Just a nighttime walk away are the shepherds out in the fields. Uh, this uh, occupation of shepherds, as we read about it in the Old Testament, I think uh, Jews generally historically appreciated shepherds. It was just part of their lifestyle, but maybe as part of the current culture of first century that we begin to sense in history that shepherding was not an admired occupation. In fact, there were some rabbis of that year that said that shepherds should not be allowed to testify in court because they weren't exactly known to be honest. Um, we'll assume that these were more earnest, good shepherds uh, that God chose that... Um, yeah, we would imagine that maybe they had a bit of a self-image uh, problem in that other people viewed them as kind of the, the lower tier of the work hierarchy. They're in the fields nearby Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a village some five miles uh, south of the much larger capital of, of Jerusalem. It is thought by some Bible scholars that the sheep were this close to Jerusalem because they were to be used for the sacrifice because Jerusalem was host to the temple. Uh, other Bible scholars think that uh, maybe this is an indication that it's winter because the sheep are so close. We don't know for sure, but uh, we could 
assume that the shepherds were in a situation much like Mary and Joseph because they were among the animals and did not have a guaranteed dry, warm place for night. But it's interesting, the very first to hear about the birth of God's son were guys who probably didn't get invited to much else. God often reveals his glory to the least likely. Uh, Just a little bit ago, a few weeks ago, we were studying Bible prophecy and thinking through one day the uh, eternal rewards in heaven and that God rewards faithfulness. I wonder if sometimes as Christians we assume that... um, Sometimes I think, frankly, we're jealous of one another, thinking, well, you know, they have this kind of ministry, which I could do that kind of ministry. They have more opportunity. They have a more public uh, ministry. And, and if we think somehow that that's how God gives out approval, I think we're sorely mistaken. God rewards humble faithfulness. Jesus uh, said, Luke 12, to whom much is given, much is required. And on the flip side, he told a parable where uh, the master gave uh, different amounts of money to invest and God's or the master's approval was the same whether someone received much or little. It was based on their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, These lowly shepherds were about to experience an, an intervention of God vertically into their lives and it was suddenly obvious an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified so just just one angel to begin with Uh, sometimes in the uh, in scripture you find that uh, angels take a fully human form Uh, Genesis 18 uh, Abraham was uh, saw three men and he fed them dinner it turns out they were they were angels this isn't that This is when angels appear and the full glory of the Lord accompanies them. The Lord's glory, God's actual glory somehow surrounded the appearance of this this angel. Uh, This would be a little more like Moses in uh, Exodus 34 when he came down from the mountain and meeting with God, his face shone so much that it put a veil over his face because people couldn't look at him. Or when the tabernacle was completed in in, uh, Exodus 40, uh, it says the glory of the Lord descended upon the temple. And even Moses couldn't go in a tabernacle. Even Moses couldn't go in. And then for the next 40 years, the glory of the Lord followed, accompanied them as they traveled. And it would appear as a a cloud during the day, but a pillar of fire at night, a, a lamppost that could light an area big enough for an encampment of some two million people. Of course, if you think to Exodus, they had no scripture at all. And yet God was going to make sure that they understood his presence. He wants to be known. And so different times he appears, he appears, the the glory of the Lord appears with this angel and it hits this band of shepherds all at once. So they are terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. That's kind of how angels tend to introduce themselves because They scare people wherever they go. Don't be afraid. And you might expect when you're frightened to get bad news, so they assure them, I have good news of great joy for all the people. The term uh, bring you good news is, uh, some of you know the word good news is the same as the word gospel. This is actually the verb form of the word gospel. 
So it's basically, I am good newsing you, okay? I am good newsing you, or it's a word that Paul would use later for preaching the gospel or evangelizing, even the Greek word euangelizomai, that's how it sounds, evangelize, that's where we get our word evangelism or evangelize. You, you shepherds have just won the divine lottery. You have the scoop of eternity because you are hearing about Jesus, God's son. It's good news of great joy for all the people. People will be happy when they know Jesus, is what the angel tells them. When I meet truly joyful people, you know I begin to suspect that they know Jesus Christ. There's something about the, the, the vertical relationship that produces inner joy that radiates to others. The other day, I was at uh, uh, Costco, and there was an employee as I was walking out that, you know, they're wearing masks, and she's wearing masks and stuff, but something about, you could, you could see the smile through the eyes and the voice, and I began to suspect that she understands vertical. She understands or knows the Lord. All people this is available, this good news, this great joy is available to all people. How could, it, how could something that happened 2,000 years ago be good news, a great joy for all people? The next phrase uh, says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The reason it's good news for all people that brings joy to all people potentially is because this is a Savior and it's a Savior that will affect all people. Saved from what? The word save or savior just refers commonly to being delivered from something. Context determines what it's, the salvation, or the deliverance entails. The Jewish people all wanted deliverance from Roman domination. In fact, that was a prevailing thought uh, at the time of Jesus. That's not what Jesus came for. People all want deliverance from their personal problems and so there were people that Jesus met that were sick and blind and deaf and Jesus healed a small percentage of them to show who he was but that's not what he came to save us from he came to save us from sin because great joy comes when your sin is forgiven when when uh, when someone is, is, is struggling seriously and there is no joy, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is guilt. Guilt can really drag us down. Because when we're under a cloud of guilt, we don't think vertically, we don't want to think about God. But when we understand we are forgiven, now the joy can flow. We, we are not hesitant to think about God, to, to worship him, to love him, to listen to his word, because when we understand the slate is clear between us and God, joy can flow freely. So yes, he is a savior born. It's exactly what God had told Joseph through the angel some months before where Joseph was assured that she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's a definition, really, of the word or name Jesus. It's, 
It's Jehovah saves. God is salvation. What a perfect uh, name for Jesus. The Old Testament version of that was the word was the name Joshua. It's really the same name, uh, Jesus being the New Testament Greek word. But did the shepherds already know that it was saving them from sin? It probably wasn't so clear just yet. But it was a Savior who had been born for who? All people. It's why, it's why our missionaries, uh, Rhett and Stacy, live in Papua New Guinea. They're home with us during this year. And uh, the reason they have moved into a, a village in that country with the Koval people is because it was good news of great joy for all people what we're celebrating today. And it, it's just as necessary for those people in that particular tribe and village as it is for any of us sitting here, any place where you're sitting watching us today. Because that Savior is needed just as deeply in every situation. And by the way, next weekend, our message will be a special uh, message with Pastor Seth and Rhett uh, sharing more about that amazing uh, process. A Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Uh, every, have you noticed how every word that these angels spoke, it's, it's not very long what they said, but every word is important. And I kind of imagine that the, the shepherds later on when it says they, they, they talk to one another, I think they were trying to remember what exactly did the angels say. <laughs> Let's make sure we get all of this right, and that's how we have it in our scripture, that we have each important term here. A Savior has been born... The word born tells us immediately they are expecting a human being, right? Born. And the word born Christ the Lord. Christ is the word Messiah, the anointed one. It's the term used of Old Testament kings, like David was the Lord's anointed. It's the same, same terminology. And that was the expectation of a human king. So born is human, king is human. But Christ the Lord... Now that's different. A God term is applied to a human being. And so here it's God revealing to shepherds, first of all, this amazing doctrine of the incarnation in flesh, in karnas. God became man in the person of Jesus. He is the God-man. And it's the only reason Jesus can be a savior is because he is fully God and fully man because man can die. God cannot, but he became man to die to pay for sin and it would be paid for because he's God and only God can pay for sin only God is perfect so it, this, this doctrine of the incarnation and, and the, 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 the necessity of it for our salvation is all actually packed into these phrases revealed to who? to the shepherds when we live vertically humbly before God it's amazing the stuff that we will learn that is glorious and about God, just by submitting yourself to him and to his word. The final sentence of the angel gives instructions. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. You're kidding, they must have thought. A baby where? Lying in a feed box. That's, that's the sign this will be a sign to you, verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in manger. They had to have looked at each other and go, you're kidding, Benjamin. Did, you, did he say in a manger? 
But how would you distinguish this baby from others? The shepherds didn't go to Bethlehem and, and knock on doors to try to find all the babies. All they needed to do was find the one sleeping in a barn. Got it, Lord, there can't be too many of those. And how reassuring could that have been for Mary and Joseph when the shepherds show up and say, actually, we were looking for a baby in this situation. And suddenly that very human, horizontal frustration, unsuccessful search for lodging, it all began to make sense because actually this was what God would use as a sign. This was all part of the plan, even though God didn't say it was part of the plan. Does God have plans that he doesn't tell us about? All the time. Listen, if, if we could remove all of the discomfort in our lives, and that's mostly what our prayer list is about, right? If we could remove all the discomfort in our life, would we actually be eliminating the miraculous in our life? Would we be missing out on that which would, in coming years, mark all? Oh, God is there. God is real. God does care. Would we, would we experience more of his glory if we more humbly accepted the inconvenience, the discomfort, the delays from our perspective? Uh, Priscilla and I have some stories of God's miraculous provisions for us uh, financially, uh, especially in, in some of the early years of our marriage. But the discomfort of those seasons is what made the miracle something that we keep going back to. It makes it more obvious. As we even think about our facilities here that God has provided, if you've been a part of that, you know it's always, been a, it's always involved uncomfortable faith. And then you begin to realize, wait, God did this. And therefore, God gets the glory. Desperation is what brings us to a point of prayer, and prayer is what gives God an opportunity to show himself and reveal that he is, life isn't just horizontal, that he is involved in everything. And so whatever is uncomfortable for you right now, hurtful, painful, does not indicate God's absence. In fact, it may be that which three years or 30 years from now will remind you of his very close presence. So wait on him. So far, just one angel has been on the hillside with the shepherds. Now come the reinforcements. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The heavenly host, great company, is really, it's a military term. It's like a, a huge army of angels is suddenly visible. God makes them visible to these shepherds. They may have been there already. Different times in scripture, angels were present and then suddenly uh, Elijah one time, and oh, they're actually there. 
They become visible and they're praising God and saying, it doesn't say singing, but it almost seems like a song. There's a rhythm or cadence to this uh, statement. Two lines, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. In fact, a lot of your Bible that you're looking at, um, the rest of the story is kind of in narrative paragraph form and then sometimes this is set apart. You might see that as like a poem and you've got it like a, like a psalm or a proverb sometimes. So I, I tend to think this is some kind of a, a, a something that they, they said together. Is it like an army shouting like a cheer or a chant? Did they repeat it antiphonally? You know, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom. Maybe something like that. Glory to God in the highest. That's all about vertical. That's, that's saying we recognize God who you are. And you deserve glory. It's, 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 it's vertical with the arrow going up. The second line is vertical with the arrow, though, coming down. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Um, what kind of peace is this? Peace and favor are the key words of that second line. Peace and favor. This is not about peace between men. This is on earth peace to men. I like the way my translation reads there. It's, it's peace to men. So where was the conflict that needed the peace? It was a conflict between God and man. That's the problem. I mean, sometimes we read this goodwill towards men. Uh, it kind of sounds like we're all really nice to each other in the store or something, you know. But it, it's, not just, it's not just that kind of a peace because, in fact, there can't be this kind of a peace unless people have peace with God. That's where the true conflict was. We had a sin problem with God. There was enmity or, 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 or there was a problem, eternal problem between us and God because God is holy and we are sinful. That's what Jesus came to solve. That's the, that's the first primary issue is that God, in his holiness, could not accept anyone into heaven because of sin. We, were, we, were, we all had an eternally unsolvable problem if God didn't step in himself, which is what Jesus, the God-man, is all about. And so Paul could write later about peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified, the word means to be made or declared righteous. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? Through him, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. Key, key term. By faith, we gain access into what? This grace in which we stand. Are you standing in grace this morning? Do you have a status in heaven that is based on grace? That's what he came to give you, peace with him, and it only comes by faith. We've talked the last couple of uh, weekends uh, about this important step of faith the only way that you can have your sins forgiven and know that you'll be in heaven one moment after you die is by a personal decision of putting your faith not in yourself, not in a church, not in a ritual like baptism, but putting your faith in Jesus Christ. 
He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who rose again. We have peace with God only by faith in Christ. And that's what this is about. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Favor is, a, is one of the grace words. We, we, we need grace. God has a holy wrath, a necessary holy wrath upon all sin. And so, through Jesus paying for our sin on the cross and rising again, that wrath of God is absorbed by him on the cross so that we don't face the wrath of God. And that is why it's good news of great joy. And I just invite you, if you're someone who has never come to that assurance of eternal life, you need peace with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, what are you trusting in for eternal life? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you trusting in you? Those are the basic choices. Are you trusting in Christ or are you trusting in you? No, it's by faith in Christ alone. Did I mention how the only way that we can live vertically is to live in humility? You see, putting your faith in Christ is the complete step of humility to say, I can do nothing to earn my salvation. I must put my faith in Christ alone. So then we become people on whom his favor, his grace rests. And with that statement, the angels disappear. It's silent and dark again. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Everything in verses 8 through 14 has been vertical or supernatural, angels, uh, God's glory, heavenly shouting, God's grace. Now the lights have gone out of God's glory. The shepherds are now, because we live horizontal, don't we? Everything that we, you do today is going to, first of all, be horizontal, because this is where we live. So the shepherds look at each other, say to one another, let's go. The angels said this would be a sign Assuming you'll go, and what do they do? They obey. The first step of honoring God, thinking vertically, is to obey him. Life becomes very simple if we take the approach that if God said it, I'll do it. If, if we just, there's plenty of things we might struggle to know. Did God really? How do you interpret this Bible passage Just start with the things you know, he says. And life becomes much simpler. Let's go to Bethlehem. They hurried off and found, uh, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So it's exactly what the angels said. The next verse goes right on and says, When they had seen him, they spread the word. As I'm reading verses 16 and 17, I really wish I knew what happened between verses 16 and 17. Because they go to Bethlehem, they find Mary, Joseph, and the baby is lying in a manger, and then they leave. But you know they talked. You know there was a conversation. So if we can take a little bit of time to have a hopefully sanctified imagination, what do you think they talked about? 
I'm thinking the conversation is something, includes something like this. Because, first of all, think of the setting Mary and Joseph, verses 1 through 7. Their life has recently been like a list of everything that could go wrong. They have their wedding plans, and suddenly they hear about the baby. Mary is pregnant. And that is misunderstood, you can be sure, wherever they lived and people they knew in Nazareth. Then there's the census, badly timed. The government mandates that they go down to their ancestral home of Bethlehem. And so in Mary's eighth month, ninth month, somewhere in there, they travel south to Bethlehem at the most uncomfortable time of her life she goes into labor when they arrive and that night they are desperate looking for a place to stay they find shelter finally in desperation resorting to a place where animals are and they have the baby and wrap him and lay him in a feeding box so they're thinking God, is this what you planned? They hadn't heard from God, as far as we know. Mary, for some nine months, when Gabriel had said, you will have a child. Joseph, maybe it had been six months when the angel said, don't hesitate to marry her. That baby is conceived of the Holy Spirit. But this is now. That was then. Once they were so excited about God's plan, once I'm sure that they first compared notes with their visit to the angel, they were committed. But now there seemed to be this gap in their communication from God and they hadn't heard anything. And in fact, they, they, God never told them to go to Bethlehem. The government did and they had to go. And there was no word from God. There was no magic carpet taking them. as all this horizontal difficulty. I think we've all been there if you're seeking to follow Christ where at one, you can think of times when, you know, God seemed really close and it seemed really clear what he wanted me to do and there was, there was this or there was that and, and, and then stuff happens and you don't seem to experience or hear what God is saying so clearly. So that's the setting when the shepherds arrive. There's a Joseph maybe hears a rustling of footsteps outside and voices, men's voices, at night. Are they friendly? Are they intoxicated? Are we in danger? Then maybe they hear, Shalom, Shalom. Joseph, there's men out there. My hair is a mess. I mean, I made that part up. They enter and they begin to tell their experiences, sharing their notes. And the shepherds are all excited. And they said, one of them says, guys, the angel said this baby was a savior who is born. And Joseph says, yeah, I know. The angel told me six months ago to name him Jesus because he would be the one who would save people from their sin. And Mary can say, guys, do you realize the angel told me he would be the son of God? 
They say, yeah, I know. The angel told us he's Christ the Lord. So Mary says, guys, this baby has no human father. And the shepherds are maybe the first to believe that. Maybe since Mary's cousin Elizabeth. Imagine the excitement is this, at this unlikely small group meeting. A, a very young couple with a newborn and some grizzled, outdoorsy shepherds talking about the glory of God and amazed at Jesus. Sounds like they had church. A bunch of people who are very different brought together discussing the glory of God and the centrality of Jesus. When you think about it, the people who are gathered in this room right now or where you're sitting, wherever you're sitting here or out of state someplace, we are, what really ha- do we have in common? I mean, we, we, are, we, are, we come from all different backgrounds. We're not the same age. I know someone who's like 98 years older than somebody else. Some are wealthier, some are struggling to make it, some are healthier, some are not doing so well. Some are more encouraged, some are less encouraged. Some have made big mistakes, some have mistakes ahead of them. Some of us know Jesus as our Savior with confidence. Some of us are learning about Jesus, who is our Savior. But here we are. Here we are together discussing the glory of God and the centrality of Jesus. That's what church is. Church is not the building. Church is a community of believers who care about those things. Church is the intersection of vertical and horizontal truth. Because in a church, we acknowledge that God so loved us that he gave his only son. He came down. And and now because of his love for us, we love one another. Here is where we praise him. We think of him. We consciously have sung and celebrated him. And yet here is where we then, out of that encouragement of exaltation, we encourage one another. So I love to imagine what happened between verses 16 and 17. Maybe someday we'll get to ask them about it. Verse 17. There's a response when we know the glory of God. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I've underlined some terms, the word and what was told and what they said. Do you realize that the, the issue was the content of what was said about Jesus? They didn't go around talking about themselves. And what they experienced, I'm sure that was part of the story. But they seem to have 
left that location to begin talking on the streets of Bethlehem, maybe meeting people they knew. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Judah. Hey, Simeon. Did you, do you have any idea what just happened? There has been a baby born that is actually the Messiah, and he's going to be the Savior. And it says they were amazed. I mean, like, probably the same look sometimes that you might get if you tell people about Jesus. Wait a minute. You're saying that somebody who lived 2,000 years ago determines where I will be one minute after I die. Yeah. He's the Savior of all the world. I think people were amazed at what they said, probably also because of how they said it, because something had changed within them. Think about it. They didn't really know much about Jesus compared to you and me. They didn't know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. They didn't have a New Testament. They just knew what the angel had said, and they went around telling everybody. We have so much more to tell. We know so much more. And I'd like to just challenge you in these, it's what, December 20? In the next four or five days, would you pray for an opportunity to tell somebody something about Jesus? Invite them to understand somehow. Maybe invite them to uh, watch our our Christmas Eve service online. Maybe that's a, an opportunity that, hey, I don't know if you do a church thing on, on Christmas Eve, but uh, join us at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Or, or something where you can begin to have an impact telling them, communicating to them about Jesus. Mary is brought back into the story in verse 19. I love this. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. We meet her one other time saying that same thing in verse 51 at when Jesus was 12. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. The thoughts that filled her mind that night in the next 30 years, we can only begin to imagine because she was about to live the next 12 to 20 years with Jesus around the house living it very horizontally like we all do. He, she, she was feeding him and clothing him, and just like any mom, but also pondering this little boy Jesus. Do we, we're not Mary, we, we, we don't experience what she experienced, but do we ponder, do we treasure we know so much more about Jesus, though, than Mary did, even though she lived with him. Do we have time to consider and think vertically? Uh, the pace of life is not conducive to pondering. We all know that. It's go, go, and go. So what would it take for us to make sure there is time to think? vertically to think maybe what has Jesus saved you from what would your life be like without him if you have put your faith in him to think what could your life be like with him if you put your faith in him to think how he might be at work in your life to think what what might be ahead in your relationship with him to see what are your goals to grow in your relationship with Christ in 2021 
It takes an investment of time, everything of value does. If, if you invest in news and entertainment, you will find out what the world thinks. If you invest in social media, you'll find out what your friends think. But only if you invest in God's word will you know how God thinks. And that is how life changes. That is how we begin to think with humility and respond to him. We won't see angels or visible glory perhaps, but we will begin, I believe, to see the glory of God in details of our life and realize that while we've been living horizontally, God has been marking our steps all along the way. Because basically a principle of vertical living is this, that God reveals his glory to those who give him glory. Mary was that kind of a person. When Mary first heard from the angel that she would bear God's son, her response was, Luke 1, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There is she, she immediately responded by giving him glory. It's, it's what the shepherds did, verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. The response was to glorify God because God reveals his glory to those who give him glory. Except for a note about Mary at age when Jesus was 12, we don't really see her again until we meet her when Jesus is all grown up and beginning his public ministry. And Jesus and his mom are attending the same wedding of a family or family member or, or friend. And uh, at this event, they run out of wine. John 2 says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I just love this little interaction between Jesus and his mom. Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. It just sounds like a very human relationship they had, right? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And if you have not read the story, please read John 2 today. He turns the water into wine. And the final verse says that what Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Because God reveals his glory to those who give him glory. That was Mary. I'm convinced it was Joseph. It was the shepherds, verse 20. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. I, if this was the end of a movie, I think you'd just see the shepherds practically skipping on their way back to their flocks, heading out that way. And their hands in their eyes are lifted, praising God. They're talking to one another they're fellowshipping about the excitement of what God has privileged them to do. And that's why we gather. That's why it's so important that, that we stay connected to one another horizontally so that we can communicate what God is doing vertically in our life. 
Because when we acknowledge him, he rewards us with all these little moments, snippets of seeing him at work. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so in need of your touch when we get discouraged by what is happening in the people or the events around us. And there are hard things. There are hard things that are, are weighing down each one listening to, to this today. Lord, I pray that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would take a, a posture of humility into every circumstance and begin to ask you what you might be doing, what you might be teaching. We would be seeking you for uh, whatever it is we're desperate about, that we'd be seeking you for answers, that we'd be going to your word and not to the world for advice. Lord, I pray for any who might be uh, hearing these words today, who has not placed their faith in you, who, who, who have struggled to maybe understand uh, who you are and that you would actually send your son, that God would become man. Or I pray that there might be uh, those in this season who would respond in faith, understanding the cross, understanding the resurrection, and that you came to die to pay for our sin. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be exalted by our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.